Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Did you know that for only $27 per month, you can now gain unlimited access to more than $2,000 worth of resources, courses, and video archives, all built to help you build a better business, be a better leader, and live a happier life as a small firm architect? And we're adding more every month. Learn more about Entree Architect Academy at EntreeArchitect.com. You're listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 175. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. I'm back with another episode from our podcast series called The Entrepreneur Architect, where I interview you, members of the Entree Architect community. I want to know your story. I want to give you an opportunity to share some of your knowledge. You have a story. We all have a story about how we were inspired to pursue a career in this profession, a story about the people who influenced us to get to this place in our lives, the story about how we became entrepreneur architects. So I want to hear your story. Email me at podcast at entrearchitect.com and let me know that you want to be part of this series. This week at the Entree Architect podcast, I'm speaking with Michael Kilkelly, entrepreneur architect. (music) 
This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, NCARB, BQE Software, and RCAT. And I'm going to share more about these great companies and organizations later in the show. But as we get started here, just take a quick note to schedule some time this week to go visit each one of them and let them know that their support is appreciated by us, the Entree Architect community. Michael Kilkelly, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. It's great having you here. Uh, Michael is a principal at Space Command, a architecture and uh, consulting firm in Middletown, Connecticut. He's also the founder of ArcSmarter, A-R-C-H, smarter.com, uh, a website dedicated to helping architects and designers work smarter, not harder. I'd love to to get into that a little bit. That, uh, it's a cool place to, to go visit. So if you haven't been there, go check it out at arcsmarter.com. Uh, Michael has also received his Bachelor of Architecture from Norwich University and a Master's of Science in Design and Computation from MIT. Uh, previously, Michael was an associate at Gary Partners in LA, in Los Angeles, California, where he uh, worked on several high-profile design projects, including New York by Gary and the Guggenheim Abu Dhabi, some pretty cool projects that must have been fun. Uh, Michael writes regularly about design and technology at Arc Smarter, Arc Daily, and at Architect Magazine. So you may recognize his name if you uh, if you frequent frequent any of those places. So Michael, let's let's get into this a little bit. I shared a little bit about you. Uh, I want to start just like I always start this show here uh, with your origin story. Take a minute or two and and go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect. And uh, and give us your your story. We'll get we'll uh, go from there. Okay, thanks, Mark. So I, I think you know I got into architecture probably from you know like a lot of people do. I I loved playing with Legos as a kid. I uh, liked to draw. Um, you know, and I had a hunch that architecture was was kind of the profession for me. But I didn't really I didn't know any architects. I didn't know other than like the Brady Bunch or anything like that. I didn't really know what an architect did. Uh, you know, on a daily basis. So other than going to the library and you know, taking a drafting class uh, in high school, I didn't have much exposure um, to the profession. But again, I felt like, you know, I had a good left brain, right brain kind of combination that um, doing the technical and the creative, um, which is what I imagined architects did, uh, that that would be, you know, a, a good career path uh, for me. And, you know, fortunately, it that's been the case. But um, it wasn't until I got into, you know, to our architecture school. I, I did my bachelor's um, at Norwich University in Vermont. And, you know, then I realized, oh, okay, like this is, all right, we're in it. This is it. This is, is did not what I totally expected, um, though I didn't really know, again, what to expect. Um, so I did, you know, a five-year Bachelor of Architecture uh, at Norwich. And that's when I started. This was in the early 90s. I, I was there from 90 to 95. Computers were just starting to get introduced. Um, you know, we had a, we did a lot of hand drafting. We built a lot of physical models. Um, and we had a computer class, you know. And so that was it. I kept doing hand drawings and came to my, you know, my fifth year thesis. Uh, again, I was really interested in technology. Um, but it was pretty primitive back then you know we still we were still using DOS for the most part um, and my thesis project was you know I produced it was set at Burning Man out in Nevada desert so oh, cool. um, you know it was this little kind of small project but I was 
doing, again, making physical models, hand drawing, and then I had started getting into rendering and animation um, using 3D Studio, which was still fairly new at that point. So it was kind of this mix of media uh, between handmade and, and digital. So it was uh, really fun doing that. Now, I after I graduated, I worked for a firm uh, here in Connecticut for a couple of years. Um, and again, I've always throughout my career had this this interest in design and technology. And I've been, I think, throughout trying to figure out how to how to do both of them in some way, shape or form. So I, I was you know, working as an intern architect um, and again, doing a lot of rendering, still interested um, exploring computers. Uh, and at that point, I wanted to go back to school. I knew I wanted to go back uh, and I went to MIT and they had do I did their um, it's a master of science in architecture studies and then focused in um, design and computation. And that was a, just a, a great experience. What, is that, what does that mean, design and computation? So it's a very wide um, kind of program at MIT. So the, it's really up to you to define what that means. So I was taking um, – you can take courses you know, through any department. You can take courses uh, – at Harvard, so I was doing design studios. I was taking music classes, um, and the the only requirement really is to is to do a thesis at the end. Um, so, you know, you can go as far afield as you want. You just have to kind of bring it back home and <laughs> yeah, do your yeah. thesis. And so, um, you, you could really explore things. And that was as uh, rapid prototyping was kind of starting to become more and more prevalent. And this is I was there from '97. Uh, to 99, um, you know, and I, what I was interested in though, was looking at, you know, how, how we as architects could do our work more efficiently, um, be more effective. And so, you know, my kind of research was really into like construction drawings and how we actually go through and create them and look at ways that we could alternate ways that we could develop, um, documentation and tools that would support that. Um, so after MIT, I worked in the Boston area, um, for a few firms, I was working for Martha Schwartz, who was a landscape architect, uh, and so doing design work, but also taking care of their computers and um, those sorts of things. And I worked for a internet startup, so this was around you know internet 1.0, uh, and that was great. So they were developing project management software for um, construction projects, basically. Uh, and so, uh, as with most companies around that time, you know it was a we had a a year run and then things faded out. Uh, so then I worked for another kind of medium-sized firm, Ad Inc., uh, in the Boston area. I have some friends and, there. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so around that time, you know, I had been interested in um, moving out of the Boston. Like I grew up in New England. I lived there pretty much all my life. Uh, I wanted to go, kind of go somewhere else. And uh, an opportunity came up at Frank Gehry's firm. So they were looking for. Again, somebody with architectural experience, but was willing to, you know, also had technical experience uh, and wanted to work on projects, but have more of a kind of um, technical administration role. Like, so manage a lot of their drawing sets, be able to opt, uh, automate, you know, optimize the, the workflows, essentially. Um, so, you know, again, I've always gone back and forth between the technical and design sides. So for me, you know, this was the perfect opportunity. So here I could do kind of do both things, work on projects, um, but also at a scale and a complexity uh, that would be pretty interesting. So 2005, you know, my wife and I moved out to LA 
and I was there at, at Gary's firm for seven years uh, to 2012. We had, you know, two of our kids were born out in LA and they're still do- hardcore Dodgers fans. Uh, I can't, I can't get them to root for the Red Sox as much as I try. Um, so around that, again, we, you know, we had two kids, all of our family is, was all back East. So we wanted to move back at some point. Um, and so my wife got an opportunity a uh, teaching opportunity here in Connecticut, uh, so that seemed like a good a good way to kind of make our our way back uh, to New England. And I around that time too, I'd been thinking, you know, that I did want to go out on my own. Um, I wanted to kind of start my firm. You know, I survived through the recession uh, in 2008 and 2009, but I saw a lot of you know, really talented people who you know had been with the firm for a long time. You know, they they got laid off. There just wasn't enough work and Gary's firm at that point, you know, we were up to 200 people at one point and then we shrunk down to a hundred. And so, um, you know, and I think those of us who survived through that a lot, you know, have similar stories of just, um, how kind of work dried up all of a sudden. So seeing that I, you know, I realized like having a full-time job isn't always the most secure, um, approach. Again, it was seeing, you know, people who had spent their whole career at the firm and, you know, it just was through circumstance. Um, They, you know, they, they had to, they were let go and then they had to go find something else. So that was really um, difficult to kind of live through and see it, but made me think about, well, what do I want to do, you know, for my career after this? Uh, And it, that I became a lot more interested in business and, you know, started reading up, you know, all with the intent of at some point starting um, my own company, be it either a architecture firm or kind of consulting company or something else altogether. So this, again, when my wife got the job and we moved uh, to Connecticut, that seemed like a perfect opportunity to to start off, start afresh, start on my own. Were you um, licensed at so, that time when you when you when you came I back? I was, east? yes. Where along did, yeah. the, the timeline did you get licensed? So that's that's a great story. Uh, I you know I started IDP when I finished up when I graduated from college. So I got two years of IDP done, um, and then I went back to school and sort of got off the rails. So it wasn't until uh, I started working actually at Gary's firm, mm-hmm. and it was when I kind of finished up all my IDP paperwork, and then I started taking my exams right after my first son was born in 2006, and then finished them in. Uh, I think before my second son was born, 2009. So I was around, you know, 36 years old. So it was a long process. Yeah. Uh, I think I needed that, the time constraint of having kids to make me sit down and do it. Because uh, I don't know what I was doing with my time, you know, before kids. I had all the time in the world. <laughs> exactly. But just didn't, didn't actually sit down and get it done. It's amazing how much you can get done when you focus because you have other priorities. Exactly. And I think that was it. I needed that pressure, especially too. I had, you know, my, my, uh, kid number two come in, like I had to get it done. There was no, there was no question about it. Yeah. So yeah, when I did come back, um, back East, I was licensed already. So you came back East and you, you decided this was a good time to, to start your own thing. Right. Yeah. So when I left Gary's office, I had a really good relationship with them and I approached them about potentially doing some consulting for them, you know, and working remotely. And that seemed like a good kind of a good bridge into, you know, working for myself. So I would have to manage them, you know, they would be a client, not an employer. And, um, again, be able to 
work with them remotely, handle them, you know, but I already knew the work that they were doing. I knew, you know, what my role would be. So that's actually been, been great. That's been consistent in, you know, in the five years since I've left, I've been doing consulting work for them. Um, and I, you know, I go out there about once a month, um, and, you know, still have a, a very good relationship and, with And them. they don't have any East coast base, right? Correct. Yeah. They're just their office. There's one office that's in LA. Um, and that's it. There's about, you know, about a little over a hundred people there still. Uh, and they no plans obviously to open up any other offices. And is that the bulk of your work? Uh, it, it varies. I think initially it was, and again, having one client isn't, is, you know, isn't really sustainable. So I've been working on, um, developing other consulting projects and clients as well. Uh, and then also, um, building out arc smarter as its own kind of sustainable business. Um, and then also kind of as a third thing, getting some local architectural projects, um, here in kind of the central Connecticut area. So there's sort of a mix, a mix of different, um, project types, client types, uh, and sort of business models thrown in there. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting story and you can see the progression that you had, Obviously, this interest in technology and architecture and that thread runs through your whole story. Um, and and you've, you've, you've landed in some pretty prestigious places doing some pre- prestigious work. So you you've must have had goals set for that. Are there, do you, are there, is there a specific goal that you can share with us that, that sort of uh, you had this goal, you, you achieved it, and the process that you followed to achieve that goal? Yeah, I think for me, you know, apart from becoming licensed, that was always the, the big goal. But um, I, I had always wanted to start my own firm and that um, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. So, you know, I can't like I come from a sort of working class family in the suburbs of Boston. You know, my dad was a machinist. Um, and so he was always kind of, you know, putting the work in. And, and I remember thinking as a kid, like he should open his own machine shop. Why doesn't he do that? <laughs> uh, you know, and now I know like, oh yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, like that takes yeah. a lot of work, but that seemed to be, you know, a way to that you, you're building something of your own apart from, you know, the work you're doing, but you're building an organization, a culture and so forth. So for me, you know, that had always been a goal somewhere kind of in the back of my mind. So finally being able to do it and, you know, now five years out, um, it's still a work in progress. Like I, I think of my business in particular, it's kind of like a design project and I, I'm sort of in the schematic phase, uh, but I'm hoping to be moving into DD pretty soon. Um, but it, that has been, you know, a, a, a big accomplishment, you know, just getting this far. Um, do you have it, do you have it all planned or do you, are you sort of, did you take the jump and then sort of just go as, as you as you proceed? Yeah, it's it's not planned. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, if you they um, was it with writers, there's people who pantsers or plotters. <laughs> so you either do it by the seat of your plant pants or you, you know, plot it out step by step. So I'm a I'm a pantser as far as the business goes. Um, but, Very you know, funny. I do. That's something I, I, I know um, that I need to work on and get some more structure and planning kind of into it, because, again, it's, I've been doing this kind of on my own for five years, but I, I feel like it's hard to do a lot of different things. Like I need to, I need to focus to get some efficiencies and systems in place um, so that I can you know, grow the business and, and continue to make it sustainable. 
Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, FreshBooks, NCARB, and BQE Software. You already know all about RCAT and their free BIM objects and their CAD details and their specifications and product information, all free, ready for you to use. Well, today I want to share something new from RCAT. It's called Charette. Charette is a tool for sharing and collaborating with your colleagues and clients online in real time. You can upload photos and files, share specs and product information directly from the RCAT database, as well as from other sources on the internet. I've been playing with Charette in beta for a while now, and it's really cool. And now it's available to you. I encourage you to go check it out. Visit RCAT online and click the Charette icon right there on the homepage. And like everything offered at RCAT, Charette is a free tool for us small firm architects too. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. 192 hours. You wish you had that much free time? That works out to about two business days every month. And when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of administration time that you could save in 2017. That's time that you can spend doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team by project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com freshbooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Do you know someone in your firm who's always dreamed of getting licensed, but was unable to complete the experience requirements? Well, maybe that person's you. Now you can get back on track with NCARB's new AXP portfolio. With this option, seasoned professionals can complete the Architectural Experience Program, the AXP, formerly known as the IDP, by submitting an online portfolio. Along with meeting your state's education and examination requirements, the portfolio will help you and your employees get one step closer to becoming a licensed architect. Learn more about NCARB's AXP portfolio at entrearchitect.com slash NCARB. One of the most often requested resources here at Entree Architect is project management software. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? BQE Software, an AIA Advantage partner and the makers of ArchiOffice will show us how. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It will help us manage people and projects and allow us to focus on designing great architecture. Whether you're working remotely or on site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Entree Architect podcast listeners can get a fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice today at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT, FreshBooks, NCARB, and BQE software. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you the Entree Architect community. 
So Arc Smarter is, is all about working smarter, not harder. Um, is was one of the in, in um, and we haven't really gotten into what that is yet. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little while. But um, was that sort of the uh, inspiration to start Arc Smarter, so knowing that that's something that you need to do as well? Uh, why not build a platform around it while you're learning? It is, yeah. And so, I mean, actually, the the genesis of Arc Smarter, a lot of that came out of working at at Frank Gehry's office, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I was working on a big project. I was putting in a lot of time, you know, like sixty, seventy hour weeks, working weekends. And again, I had a, a small child at home. You know, my wife who was also working, and and it got to a point where you know I was working. Um, we had a deadline coming up. I think we had a DD deadline, um, so. Again, my role kind of as the as the computer person, the technical person on the project, I had to do a lot of the cleanup and, um, you know, we would finish up drawings. And this is kind of a, a little little known secret, but, you know, at Gary's office, they use Katia uh, for a lot of the 3D work, but they also use a whole lot of AutoCAD. And so uh, my job, you know, they were producing a massive set of drawings. Uh, I had to, you know, take all the, the PDFs, package them up, get all the AutoCAD drawings ready to be shipped out. And it was just taking an enormous amount of time. And we'd finish our deadline up at like six on a Friday, and then I'd be spending, you know, seven or eight hours after that just kind of doing the cleanup and you know i realized again i'm i'm getting home at three in the morning my eyes are red you know my wife is waking up looking at me like you know you're a mess yeah. you got to figure out some you know some way to to do this and so two I little to, babies yeah exactly <laughs> and so um i just needed to figure out a better way to get this work done like the work wasn't going to change but i needed to again i needed to approach it a lot smarter. Um, and so I started looking at you know, ways that I could automate a lot of that, the tedious stuff that I needed to do, you know, where I was just sitting there clicking a mouse um, because I didn't have a better way to do it. And so I, I started, you know, learning how to program and and looking at you know, more efficient workflows and you know, breaking things down kind of step by step and then trying to make small gradual improvements over this one particular workflow. And so after doing that for a few weeks, you know, this process that would take me eight hours, I got it down to like one hour. Um, and then since I was able to outline it, you know, I was, I could hand it off to somebody else and say, do this, run this script, do that. So I could remove myself out of that process. Uh, and I found that for me, you know, that was liberating because I, I could save, you know, that was my time that I was getting back. Um, but also I became the, the person in the office who could make other people more efficient by, you know, by developing these workflows, writing these scripts, uh, doing, you know, thinking about things from, from an effectiveness point of view. Uh, and so, you know, when the, when the recession did come, you know, I, I was largely, you know, safe because again, I, I brought a lot of value to the firm um, in terms of the work I could do, but also how I could help other people do their work. And so, you know, when I, it was time to leave, I really wanted to kind of, you know, build a platform for talking about like working more efficiently, working smarter uh, in, you know, for architects and engineers. Again, because when we're in school, time, you know, we're not really taught about how to value your time, you know, the studio culture, at least when I was in school was, you know, pulling all nighters, like working, working, working constantly. There was no discussion of work life balance or anything like that. Um, so I think we, we come from that culture where you, you can just throw as much time, you know, as you have at a project. Um, 
let's just do that. That's the way you make, you know, good architecture. Uh, so Arc Smarter came out of kind of in reaction to that in a lot of ways. Uh, so we can look at, you know, how we work, how we do things, but approach it um, a different way so that we, you know, we can maintain that work-life balance. We're not we're always, you know, working weekends and late nights, you know, and again, it was a lot of it was for me. I wanted to get home and have dinner with my family. Uh, so Arc Smarter became a way to kind of do that learning, you know, out loud in public um, and just start that discussion a little bit more. So are you delivering that information as training or, or tools or both? Uh, both, actually. So it started, uh, ArcSmart started as a blog. So I, I just started writing about um, these particular issues, you know, with a bent towards technology. Uh, and then I released a course on about like writing, you know, programming Revit. So writing Revit macros. Um, and then I developed some um, Revit specific plugins, uh, and then added some more courses to it. So it, that it's evolved, you know, I started by building an audience, um, and then kind of seeing where, what the audience wanted more or less. Yeah, very interesting. Um, was there, you know, either either at Arc Smarter or, or as you're starting your own firm or moving out to to work for Gary, was there a specific aha moment in your life that you said, oh, this is this is a game changer. Uh, so can you talk about that and how how um, that aha moment you, you capitalized it, on it and turned it into something uh, that changed your your life? Yeah, I think, you know, starting like with my frustrations working at at Gary's office and again, just the the time, the a lot of times the inefficiency. Um, developing you know a way based you know it was came down to like learning how to program getting under the hood of the software being able to use it um, more effectively that that was one aha moment where I said oh okay this you know there's something to this and seeing how that kind of uh, impacted my career at that office but I think once I started Arc Smarter started writing about those topics and then having you know feedback from people on the outside who, you know, were also frustrated in looking for solutions, um, again, to, to work smarter. They didn't want to be spending all that time at the office. You know, how can we do this? How can we be more effective? So I think it was sort of, it was a feedback loop because I was, you know, I am my own audience in the sense that uh, I'm a practicing architect. I'm looking for ways, um, to work smarter and hearing back from other people like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm onto something here. This is, you know, worth, worth pursuing. Um, so I, again, like I, I, it keeps coming back and, you know, the more kind of the audience grows, the more feedback I get, it just makes me want to do, you know, more look deeper, um, you know, figure stuff out, uh, more so. Yeah. Like you said before, it, I mean, it's so culturally built into us as architects to just keep working yeah. hard. Right. Uh, and yep. it, it doesn't even come to to your to your senses that, well, maybe there's a way that we can work smarter, that we can create tools or create some sort of workflow or, or even have the time to think about that or develop those those workflows to get the work done because we're always doing the work. No, and that you're absolutely right, Mark. And I think that it's it's knowing that that a discussion about how we're going to do the work is not, you know, time wasted that it you right. if you can think about it objectively look at it. it it doesn't impact what the work is necessarily again though i think in school it's all you know the the amount of time equals how great it is you know and that's not really the case 
Um, so you can take those two apart. But yeah, having that discussion, having that frame of mind um, about the process uh, is really valuable. Yeah, it's like taking the time to sharpen the saw. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Or, or was it uh, Abe Lincoln? Was it? Yeah. How I, long? He had eight hours to cut down a tree. Yeah. Spent six hours sharpening his his uh, axe. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a lot easier to cut it down with a sharp saw. Yes. Yep. Very true. Um, so what what do you think makes you or your firm unique? What's what's one thing that makes you different than everybody else? Uh, so with you know within Arc Smarter, there's a lot of people who write about technology. There's a lot of people who um, you know develop training. You know there's companies like Lynda.com and you have Pluralsight. I, mean, I think for me, and again I, I run Arc Smarter you know by myself. Um, my you know, zone of genius, if you will, is kind of taking complex subjects or workflows, uh, breaking them down into like smaller manageable bites, um, and then using kind of humor and narrative like as a as a teaching tool. Uh, I I like to write about technology, but from a like a humanistic point of view. So, what does it mean for you, you know, as an architect, if you're gonna use technology? It's not always about like the you know the the latest you know gizmo or gadget or anything like that but how does it affect you and what impact does it you know have on your life so i i try to approach you know the work i do with arc smarter from that perspective yeah it's it's uh it, we should talk more <laughs> <laughs> because i would love to to bring more of what you're doing to entree architects because you know we do a lot of talking about those kind of things and we we're building you know, uh, systems and, and giving, you know, members in the academy resources like that. Um, but you know, uh, we might be able to bring some of arc smarters content and tools to the entree architect community. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. We'll do that. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's, uh, let's get into some quick questions. Sure. Um, at what age did you decide to become an architect? Uh, you know, I think I was, I was probably like 12, 13, you know, at that, uh, it, I remember doing, I did a report, we had like a science fair at school, I think it was seventh grade, and I, I did a report on, you know, being an architect. And I actually, I still have it. It's, it's hilarious <laughs> to read because it's, it's written in hand, you know, in like yeah. a blue, on lined paper. And I have all these drawings of, you know, people building a house. Uh, and it's, it's really funny. And I think that, you know, that was when I started thinking kind of architecture engineering, you know, as a potential career path. Um, <laughs> You know, you know, it took me took me a while to actually get registered, um, but I'd say yeah, right around that that age. Yeah, you should hang that up. You should frame I, that. I know. I need to scan. I have it yeah. somewhere in my garage. Yeah, I need to dig dig that out. For That'd sure. be very cool. I have some old drawings that that are in my old bedroom in my parents' house <laughs> that uh, I could point at and say, "Yep, that was That's right around point. when I realized that I was going to be an architect. I started yeah. designing my house." Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. It starts yeah. at the house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a horrible looking house, but, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but the intent was there. That's okay. It's it's process. So what's your what's your target market today? Let's let's do both the firm and ArcSmarter. So for for ArcSmarter, it's really architects and engineers, you know, who are looking to um, want to work smarter, uh, want to be more efficient, uh, and that you know that's through either training customization of software uh, or consulting. Uh, for my firm, I do, again, I, I'm a sole proprietor. Uh, I work by myself, so I'm doing uh, residential and light commercial projects. So I really like 
residential projects because you're working, you know, one-on-one with the homeowners. And I think that that comes from having worked in large firms where, you know, the client was, there was layers and layers of clients. So I really like the kind of small scale, the intimacy of doing residential projects. When you're doing that type of work, are you working stipulated sum hourly or percentage-based fee? Uh, I do stipulated sum. Um, and so for at least for the architecture projects, that's typically how I work. I actually use your your hybrid proposal contract. So thank you for that. I really you're, you're uh, welcome. Super helpful. Uh, and then, you know, for Arc Smarter, that varies between hourly um, or it's kind of a product. Uh, there are, you know, products that I'm selling. Um, so there's, you know, there's a little bit of mix of everything. Although I'm, I'm interested in looking at, you know, on the architecture side, you know, bringing in some of that kind of product mentality, like productized consulting, kind of into um, creating, you know, packages, uh, design packages, if you will, um, just makes it a little bit easier to have the discussion, you know, with homeowners when you have a, there's a fixed price um, as much as you can, you know, because there's so much variability, but it's, it's interesting to see how those, you know, the, the businesses can kind of feed into each other a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yep. I, I, I have that happen all the time with, with five cat studio, my firm and entree architect. I'm constantly taking things I learn at the firm and, and exactly. pushing them out through Entree Architect. And the same thing, you know, the things I learn with Entree Architect with the technology side and the and the internet side, yeah, bringing it yep. back to Five Cat. It's it's interesting how they how they uh, feed one another. And I think it's a good. I mean, I really like that because there's synergy between, even though they're they're different businesses and different you know different clients essentially. Um, but again, yeah, you can pull back and forth, and that's one thing. For the architecture side, I've been really getting projects through kind of word of mouth and referrals. I haven't yet kind of closed the loop and bring in, brought in some of the content marketing, you know, email marketing aspects that I use in ArcSmarter. So that's that's my goal for this year is to start, you know, having kind of both both sides of the business, um, you know, working at kind of a same level. And I, I do again for me, a lot of the stuff that I write about. Uh, you know, is things that I'm, I'm dealing with on a daily basis. So there is really good feedback between those sides. And I'm sure the same thing with you, Mark, yeah. as well, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Other than architecture and your, and Arc Smarter, what makes you happy? What, what sort of hobbies or passions do you have outside of architecture? Uh, I mentioned, you know, I've got three kids now. So aside from, you know, spending time at home uh, with my wife and kids, you know, they're, uh, really into soccer right now. So my oldest is 11. Uh, I've got a, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. So that keeps me busy probably 90% of the time. Um, it's been, this spring has just been crazy with, with sports and stuff. But, f- you know, for me personally, anytime I can get outside. So I really like cycling. I'm a pretty avid cycler, cyclist. I haven't done it as much uh, this spring, but I'm hoping to get out more this summer. Um, and then I've, I've been practicing yoga for a while, uh, but this just starting this year, I've really been taking it a lot more seriously. So I get out, um, try to do it two to three times a week. Uh, and I find at, you know, as I'm getting older, like my body's not getting any more limber. So at least like yoga helps me maintain some sort of stasis. Yeah. Um, so I don't completely fall apart. Yeah. And then I have a long list, um, I imagine like a lot of architects, I have a long list of projects around the house. So I, yeah, I like most of my work is digital, you know, um, but I like 
building stuff with my hands. So I have a workshop in my garage. I've built um, some furniture and, you know, I'm starting to scale that up. So I want to rebuild my porch. I've got a tree house in the works, you know, so stuff that I can actually physically make um, just as a, as a way to get away from the screen. Uh, so any opportunity for that, I'm all for it. What's the best advice you ever received? Uh, you know, when I, when I was finishing up my, my BARC thesis, you know, one of the, one of the reviewers was John Connell, who was a founder of uh, the Yes Tomorrow Design Build School. Yeah. And he told me, he's like, look, you can practice architecture any way you want. Now, how you make a living is a whole nother story. And for some reason that, that, uh, you know, that piece of advice has really stuck with me because I think one, it illustrates, you know, the dichotomy that we have in school where architecture isn't necessarily seen as it's seen as, as a calling and not so much, um, as a business, but also too, like the encouragement, like, look, you can practice any way you want. Um, but you have to make a living some way, uh, shape or form. And so I think trying to find, you know, the balance between and the tension between practicing and making a living. Um, and I think that, again, that piece of advice has changed for me over the years. Uh, now that I'm working on my own, it's like, okay, yeah, the making a living part is really important. Uh, and it's not as easy as you would think. Um, so how can I fit, you know, practicing the way that I want into that and get them, you know, working together. And then like working at, at Frank Gehry's office, seeing clearly he, you know, he was practicing the way he wants and he's managed, you know, to make a pretty successful living. So there, you know, there are certainly models out there. Yeah, and, but he also is he's running a pretty decent business as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. they feed one another. You know, you, yes. can, you can have a great firm, you know, a practice, uh, and, and it helps you build a better business. But when you start building a better business, it actually allows you to have more time and more resources and more money to actually be a better architect. And so... Absolutely, uh, yeah. And being able to pick and choose, you know, what you want to do. Yeah. You yeah. know, not just taking whatever comes through the door yeah that's why i say profit first yes yeah <laughs> yep uh, one personal habit or daily routine that contributes to your success ah this is a tough one um so there's this sounds really kind of silly but one thing that i do like the, one of the first things i do every day uh you know is i i make my bed like i get up and i make my bed and i think is yeah. it stanley mccrystal has a book out now where he talks about like he gives advice, you know, for, for graduates and like that is one of his biggest pieces of advice. And I think the idea that, okay, I've done something today. Uh, and, and if that's all I do is make my bed, it's still a good day. So I try to, you know, it, it's gotten, I'm somewhat obsessive about it. even like if I'm in a hotel, <laughs> I'm making the bed. Um, so it's just, that has really become a habit. The housekeepers like you. Oh a lot. yeah. Yeah. I'm a super, <laughs> you know, favorite guest at any hotel. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, you know, I, is I, I'm pretty avid reader. So I'm reading, you know, every day if it's even, um, I read a lot of fiction. I do a lot of nonfiction as well, but I'm always, you know, reading usually before bed, um, which helps me get to sleep a lot of time, depending on what I'm reading. But that's something too. I always make sure I, that I have a book in some way, shape or form with me. As a technology guy, this is probably a, a an easy one for you. Do you have a recommended app or an internet resource? So yeah, the one one um, app that I really like. So I do. I'm doing a lot of writing, um, both you know for Arc Smarter and doing some freelance writing as well. But I found this app. Uh, it's called the Hemingway Editor. Have you heard of this, Mark? I've heard of it, but I don't know it. 
Yeah, so it's it basically will help you write um, more like Ernest Hemingway. And so <laughs> it it but it what it does is it highlights a lot of your own kind of idiosyncrasies as a writer. So it will go through and, and it pairs things down. Like if you're using a passive voice, it will identify, you know, is this sentence too complex? Uh, are you using a passive voice? And it will kind of rank things and tell you like you've used it, you know, four, four passive voices, you should really shoot for three. Um, but I, I found that it, it helps really clarify and, you know, what you're trying to say. So a lot of times I'll write, you know, I'll write something and then I'll paste it into the Hemingway editor and just see what, what it comes up. And then sometimes I take the suggestions and sometimes I don't, but that one's actually been, I thought been really fun, uh, just to see what, you know, what it thinks of what I wrote. Yeah. I love that. It, I've never, I've actually didn't, didn't know it. I thought I knew it, but, but when you described it, I didn't know it. The Hemingway app seems, seems like it's, it's something that's, is it working on, uh, artificial intelligence? Is it actually learning? I, no, it doesn't learn. I think it, it has, programmed? it's programmed. So it will go through and it will look at, it looks at each, uh, sentence yeah. and then it will evaluate them based on certain criteria. So it doesn't like learn your, um, writing style necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think too, coming, you coming from kind of the, from the architecture where writing isn't always seen as something that needs to be clear and illustrate a point. Um, Hemingway is great for removing a lot of the jargon, uh, out of, uh, out of your writing, you know? So, um, big words don't score well, um, on Hemingway, you know, using architectural archie speak, if you will. Yeah. I could see that it would actually, it would be a great training tool that it would actually make you a better writer Yeah, because it would yeah. point out all the things that you don't realize you're doing. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and you may think that that is again, and it, it's coming from it has a bias, obviously, um, but it is it it makes your writing, I think, a lot more to the point and you know and, and effective um, because it's it is easier to digest. And maybe you know we could argue whether or not all writing should be easy to digest, but um, certainly you know when you're writing you know for an audience, uh, when you're writing you know for blogs, um, that's that helps you get your message out. Yeah. Uh, you know, and for me, writing about technical uh, subjects, you know, the more accessible I can make it, certainly the better. Yeah, I'll have to ch check that one out. Yeah, so it's you, fun. So you said that you you read a lot. So you have a I recommended do. book? Oh yeah, I have I have a stack of them here actually. Um, uh, there's a couple. I I was going through my my bookshelves, uh, trying to pick out some good ones. So there's one for business books. You know, when I first started. Again, thinking about like, okay, I do want to, you know, open my own firm. I do want to start my own business. Um, one book that I found to be really useful was uh, The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman. Yeah. And I started following his site before the book came out. Um, but And he would, you know, basically read all of the business books and, and write on them. But I think uh, The Personal MBA is great because you can go through and it really breaks things down. Uh, all aspects of a business, not, and he's not looking at a particular type of business, but business in general. So I think that's a, a great resource. Uh, another book that I, I really liked, uh, that I read recently is it's called uh, badass making users awesome. And it's by uh, Kathy Sierra, who is a, like a programmer and the book, you know, come has definitely has a software perspective, but I think there's a lot you can take from it, you know, from, you know, for architects as well. And the idea is that, you know, you really, whatever you're doing, nobody cares about what you're doing. They care about how, what you do can make them, you know, awesome. And so the, the book is a lot of fun to read because it's, uh, 
there's, you know, there's a lot of pictures. I love pictures. So, uh, but it's just really, really smart and clever. Um, and I, I've marked it up like crazy. And then the other book, I actually, speaking of pictures, uh, I really like, I'm going to kind of out myself as a geek here, but I really like comics and graphic novels. So I have a book, uh, it's called Here by um, Richard McGuire. And it's a graphic novel where he looks, he looks at a particular site through all different times. So um, he'll, you know, what happens in this this site, you know, a house is built in the 1920s and then in particular rooms, different things are, ha- it's actually really hard to describe, but if you see it, it makes um, perfect sense. And so he really just basically looks at this house through, um, you know, hundreds of years. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a beautiful book. So those are great, great recommendations. I'm going to have yeah. to put those on my list, but we'll, yeah. uh, we'll also put them on the show notes. This this is episode 175, so if anybody wants to go and get all these resources, it's entrearchitect.com slash episode 175. Um, Michael, what is one thing that an Entree Architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I, I think one of the best things you can start is producing content of some sort. And I think you hear this more and more, but that you know every company is a media company, whether they know it or not. So I think that, um, and like you did, Mark, you just either through blogs or through videos or whatever, just producing, you know, something useful that people can, you know, can consume in some way, shape or form to help them do things better. I think as a foundation, you know, for building a business, you know, providing your usefulness, demonstrating it uh, to an audience, like that's the the best thing you can do because you know maybe you just don't know what will come out of that but i've found since starting you know arc smarter as a blog um it has you know grown in ways that i wouldn't necessarily have anticipated opportunities have come um that i wouldn't have anticipated and certainly wouldn't have come along if i hadn't started writing you know regularly yeah Um, and and it's interesting also how how you grow yourself yeah, by, by developing this because you're sort of forced exactly. to learn things that you that you may not know about, uh, which gives you more information to share, uh, and it's sort of this cycle that the more you share, the more you grow, and the more you grow, the more you can share. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and it feeds on itself. Yeah, uh, but it, which isn't to say that it's easy. You know, it's, no, it takes. It's, it's not easy, and you don't have to build an entire platform either, like you and exactly. I are doing. Mm-hmm. You could just yep. start a blog and write. You know, yeah. just share your knowledge or or. You know, I do guest posts, so anybody who wants to write a guest post for Entree Architect, if it's for art, small firm architects, and it's about business leadership or life, I'm interested. So um, you can write yeah, for exactly. us. Yeah, Hey, I'll do it. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> send, me, send me one. Okay. Um, Sounds good. Uh, how about a parting piece of guidance for other entrepreneur architects, and then we'll wrap things up with uh, how people can connect with you. Uh, you know, I think my one piece of guidance was just to, you know, be creative in your business, like I, we, we are in a creative profession, but I think I certainly would encourage people to think creative about how they can, you know, be helpful and be of service. I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily, there's, there's just a lot of opportunities out there. Uh, and I think that you can kind of express creativity in the, in how you deliver your services uh, and who you deliver your services to. So I would just encourage, you know, think, think creatively again in, in the business itself. 
if our listeners wanted to connect with you online and wanted to say thank you or ask you some questions about what we talked about today, what's the best way to connect with you? Sure. You can email me at michael at arcsmarter.com. Um, if you go to Arc Smarter as well, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. So I send out every Thursday. It's my Thursday uh, top five. So I send out five links, either stuff I've written or stuff I found online uh, that are of interest you know, to architects, engineers, um, and having to do with technology, workflow, process, all that stuff. Sounds good. I'm going to head over there myself and sign up for that. Hey, all I'm, right. I'm interested in what you're doing over there. So, Michael, thank you very much for joining me here today and for, for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Great. Thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed it. Me too. If you liked what Michael and I shared here today, complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 175. We'll have all the links there. Everything that we talked about will be there at entrearchitect.com slash episode 175. Go share that link with a friend. I want everybody to know what we're doing here at Entree Architect. And if you want to be a featured guest here at the Entree Architect podcast as as an entrepreneur architect, connect with us. Connect with us anywhere on social media. Reach out to me, Entree Architect, everywhere on the internet or send us an email directly to podcast at entrearchitect.com and let us know you want to be on the show. And don't forget to visit the website to learn more about the Entree Architect Academy, our private online membership program built for you, small firm architects. That's you, small firm architect. You should check it out. Go to entrearchitect.com right there on the homepage. Learn all about it. You can build a better business. You can live a happier life. You can get more done. We can show you how. EntreeArchitect.com. My name, if you might not know, is Mark R. LePage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to focus and build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening today. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. 
in drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us can we do this are we ready to do this are we prepared can we do it did we just decide a name <laughs> we did it guys oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere Woo! it came out of nowhere i liked it i saw it ready to turn your aspirations into reality follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to emerging and chart your own path to architectural success Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.